Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 59. Psalm 59. And let's read this psalm of David calling upon the Lord to deliver him and stating his confidence and strength in the Lord his God against some mighty enemies, which we understand to be Saul and the government of King Saul in its pursuit of David and their desire to kill him. While we read the psalm, I hope that you can take comfort from the fact that God will deliver you from your enemies, no matter how many or how great they might be. And they will be described in this psalm as having strength and being mighty. And yet God was David's strength, and he trusted in that strength to deliver him. I want you also, and primarily, to consider the character of the wicked. These are going to be called the workers of iniquity. Even though they were Israelites, even though they were in exalted positions of authority in Israel, David calls them workers of iniquity, and twice he will call them heathen. We sometimes call those around us, whether they call themselves Christians or not, pagans. By the way they live and the things they speak, and David will use the same language, but he'll use the word heathen here in Psalm 59. I want you to notice their propensity to shed innocent blood. I want you to see their total lack of forgiveness, their pursuit of a man who had done no harm, but only good to them. I want you to see the wickedness in their mouths, the lies in their tongues, their deceitfulness, their barking like dogs, and how David mocks them and prays God's blessing upon them. And yet, David does not do it out of personal vengeance And he will actually ask God in this psalm not to kill them all at once. Because if he were to kill them all at once, then the people of Israel would not have a lasting lesson to put their trust in God when there are enemies around. It's a precious psalm. Psalm 59. Let us all stand together and read the Word of God in unison. Psalm 59. Together. Deliver me from mine enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity. And save me from bloody men. For, lo, they lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me. Not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord, they run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me, and behold, Thou therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressors. Selah. They return at evening. They make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Behold, they belch out with their mouth. Swords are in their lips. For who, say they, doth hear? But thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. Because of his strength will I wait upon thee. For God is my defense. The God of my mercy shall prevent me. 
God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. Slay them not, lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power, and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride. And for cursing and lying which they speak, consume them in wrath, consume them, that they may not be. And let them know that God ruleth in Jacob unto the ends of the earth. Selah. And at evening let them return, and let them make a noise like a dog, and go round about the city. Let them wander up and down for meat, and grudge if they be not satisfied. But I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. For thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. Amen Amen. and amen. You may be seated. My brethren, do you love the Psalms? Do you love the Psalms? As David pours out his heart, teaches us how to pray, teaches us how to praise, teaches us the godly attitude of a man after God's own heart, teaches us to trust in the Lord against very strong enemies. You will likely not have enemies as strong and mighty as David had. And yet, because you can argue from the greater to the lesser, God is more easily able to take care of you and your small problems, though he did take care of David and his large problems. In the second verse, David described Saul and his cohorts as the workers of iniquity and as bloody men. In Romans chapter 3, we are learning from the Apostle Paul as he quotes six passages in the Old Testament that their feet are swift to shed blood. You'll notice in a place here they're going to run and prepare to track down David and to kill him. Remember, David had his wife lie about his sickness. And then when Saul heard that David was sick at home, he sent men to take him even in his sickbed. Why didn't Saul want to take him on in a duel on Main Street? They don't want to face a man of God on fair ground. David could have handled Saul easily with his right hand behind his back, though he was right-handed. So they wanted to take him in his sick bed. And then his wife, he had his wife lie for him by putting a bolster in the bed. And David escaped out of the window and escaped out of Saul's hand. Was this psalm and this prayer fulfilled? Did God reduce Saul and his cohorts to misery? Slowly? Before he consumed them? Yes. This prayer was answered. Let's notice a few things about it. In verse 3, I want you to notice that David is pointing out in his prayer, and you should be able to pray this way if you're living righteously, that your enemies do not have a a proper righteous ground or cause to be angry against you. Verse 3, Lo, they lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me. These are the rulers of Israel. Saul being king, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, 
O Lord. Now, if you're going to say that you don't have any sin that causes others to be righteously upset with you and no transgression, then you ought to put that in the context of appealing to the Lord who measures all men fairly and justly. We tend to excuse ourselves from things that are wrong to justify ourselves. But notice, O Lord, that ends this verse, he's calling God to record that there is no fault or transgression in me. The most useful man that King Saul could have had in his government would have been David, by far. David was more loyal than any man Saul could ever meet, and David was more accomplished in wisdom and military prowess than any man he had in his army. And yet he hated him out of envy and pride. The Bible tells us that, and the psalm tells us that, as it says further down about their pride in verse 12. Verse 4, they run and prepare themselves without my fault. There is no fault that causes them to run. Does Romans chapter 3 tell us that their feet are swift to shed blood? What is there in us that is aroused so quickly and becomes angry so fast and so furious like these men? Do not say that you are free of this because it's there. It may be subdued by your new man, but it is there. And these psalms are written for us to understand the character, not just of Philistines, Hittites, Edomites, and Egyptians, but of David's own people, the king of Israel, Saul himself. Verse 5, notice that David calls them heathen. Thou therefore, O Lord God of hosts, he worships and praises the Lord as being the God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen. Now God does not sleep. But sometimes it appears that he is sleeping. Therefore, we ask him to awake. I hope you understand that. This kind of terminology is used throughout the Psalms. It's to get God's attention and say, Lord, I want to see a difference in your conduct toward them. Don't let them get away with this. And there are enemies of God who have done you harm. But they're primarily enemies of God, as Saul was. And so David prays that God will awake and see what they are doing. Awake to visit all the heathen. David is not jumping subjects here to talk about God's judgment against Herod and the Roman government later. He's still talking about Saul, but he's lumping him in with the heathen. Do you know what the Bible calls the Israelites from place to place? Does it call them Sodom and Gomorrah in Isaiah chapter 1? Does it call them Edomites in other places? Yes, it does. And so David does so here, because in character, they were heathen. In their viciousness and desire to murder David, they were heathen. Verse 6, they return at evening. They make a noise like a dog. When a man returns from the business of his day, he ought to settle himself and reflect upon the day and be at the cal- and, and calm himself. But not these men. When they get back from their activities that were necessary in the day that distracted them, they are set upon finding David. They go around about the city, barking like dogs and belching out with their mouths, swords in their lips, saying terrible things that they wanted to do against David. They reject the God of heaven, for they say in verse 7, Who doth hear? Who hears us? Our lips are our own, as it's quoted in another place. Doesn't Romans chapter 3 tell us about the mouth 
in four different ways. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongue, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Verse 8, But thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. All those that have rejected the knowledge of God and the counsel of God, God would have them in derision. God would laugh at them. We are sometimes mocked and sometimes criticized for ever saying that God would laugh at someone or that God would laugh at a wicked man. But we must be honest with the Scriptures. This is what it says in the 8th verse. But thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. That's mocking laughter. That's terrible laughter in mocking at these enemies of David. Because of his strength, that is Saul's strength. Saul had the army at his beck and call. Because of his strength will I wait upon thee. For God is my defense. You have seen the bumper sticker, and while it may be trite in the way it's used sometimes, you know, God and you do make a majority in strength. And so God was David's defense and strength, even if Saul had might of his own and strength of his own. In verse 10, notice that the righteous win. The God of my mercy shall prevent me, meaning... He'll precede me. He'll go before me. He'll be the one that fights. I'm going to follow along behind. The word prevent in this context, in the older English language, means to precede or go before. God shall let me see my desire upon my enemies because he's going to fight my battle for me. Verse 11. Slay them not, lest my people forget. This is a most interesting little combination. Don't kill them all at once, Lord. Because then my people will quickly forget the need to call upon you when we have enemies. Just take them down and consume them slowly. Make them miserable. You know, we have a practice in this church of praying for those that have turned their back on God, that the Lord would make them miserable. And that misery is described down here in verses 14 and 15, when David says, when they return from their days of activities, he has mentioned this earlier in the psalm, Let them make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. But this barking of the dog is not the barking of the dog earlier in the psalm. The barking of the dog earlier in the psalm was their viciousness toward David. The swords in their mouths. This barking is for food because they're hungry. Let them wander up and down for meat and grudge if they be not satisfied. Put a grudge in them that they are hungry and they know they're hungry and they're not satisfied and they're miserable. Lord, make them miserable. That is why we pray the way we pray. Lord, make your enemies and those that have turned their back against thee miserable. Let them know that God ruleth in Jacob unto the ends of the earth. Verse 13, Selah. I want to go back to verse 11 for a moment. I was just explaining. Slay them not, lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. Do you know what kind of character it takes to have personal enemies like this, and yet David to focus on the glory of God and the benefit of the congregation rather than his instant gratification by having them wiped out? 
that is nobility. And that is nobility that we want to emulate. We want to covet such a spirit as David had, that even when we have personal enemies, we look at them with a very righteous eye when we call upon God for His judgment. Not just to kill them all so that I can laugh at their blood, because that is not what David said here. David says, slay them not, lest my people forget if you kill them all, there will not be an object lesson for the people of Israel to understand the God of heaven will deliver us in affliction and that he can make the life of the wicked very miserable over time to where death is a relief. You know, death is just too easy. There's something worse than death. And it's to wander up and down and not find meat and begrudge life. It's to be destroyed from the inside out. To have your soul consumed knowing that you are not satisfied. I have been there. Anyone else been there? To know that there is something that's worse than death. Because death would be an end in certain respects to such pain. Verse 13, David wanted them taught a lesson. Let them know that God ruleth in Jacob unto the ends of the earth. When he says consume them in wrath, consume them that they may not be in verse 13. You have to understand that in light of 11, 12, 14, and 15. That he does not want them all killed at once, but slowly. And were they slowly taken out of David's way? Yes, they were. Were they so miserable that Saul on his last night spent it in sweet fellowship with the witch of Endor? Does the Bible teach us that? When he asked the witch of Endor to bring up Samuel, did the witch of Endor say, I'm just a witch, I can't get Samuel? Or did God allow an apparition of uh, Samuel to appear and to speak to Saul? What a miserable life the man had. Did he get killed with a nice clean blow? Or did he have to take his own life at the end? This is Psalm 59 in its fulfillment. Verses 16 and 17. As opposed to those that are miserable in their souls because God is consuming them slowly by letting them bear a grudge of dissatisfaction because their lives are not fulfilled, because their lives are not happy. This is the judgment of God, but... We have another disjunctive opening up verse 16 because look at the great difference in David's life. I will sing of thy power. Do those in verses 14 and 15 wandering about like hungry dogs sound like they're singing? They're grudging. But I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. For thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. God has delivered us. He is delivering us, and He shall yet deliver us, as the Apostle Paul said. And so we ought to sing praise to Him. Unto Thee, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. I have a God that is merciful toward me and will recognize the evil of my enemies and will consume them, and He will protect me by His strength. Do you love to sing out loud? Notice it says in the 16th verse, that I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. Here it is, the Lord's Day morning. Do you want to sing aloud? It should flow from a heart that is thankful for God's mercy and His deliverance of you from all your enemies and the great difference He made between you and the heathen, even if those heathen be your own family, your own nation, and part of the outward worship of God. 
Lord, have mercy upon us and let us praise your name this way.